the Sportzilla Show starts now. Team Ghosts. Who are you guys? We're the Ghostbusters. 15th interception on the season. McCourty's fifth. Pressure off the edge. Ball is out, and the Patriots have it. Picked off again. Deron Harmon. They let him get it off. Pressure off the edge. Floater, and another interception, and it's Gilmore. It's the Sportzilla Show on ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Rain and Scoop. I say we post the podcast the way it started from the top of the hour on. Let's leave it all there. It's the most fun podcast open you'll ever listen to in your entire life. California knows how to party. We got it going. All right, now we can feel that beat a little bit. California love. No, Central New York. Syracuse love. Rain and Scoop. World Series. Let's just get right there. Here's how it sounded when it ended and the Nats won game one. Into left center field. Robles is there and the Nationals take game one. Scoop, we got like 15 things and facts about the World Series yesterday. There, We can jump around. We can go in order well, that we lined them up. But there's a lot at stake look, there. Fact number one, Juan Soto. Exactly. I mean, uh, fact number two, Garrett Cole finally, you know, fails. Finally, even though he, you know, he's hung in there and pitched for a while. I think it's five runs on eight hits, three of which were by Juan Soto. 20-year-old kid hits a ball onto the dang train tracks. And that's going to the Hall of Fame, by the way, in Cooperstown. I don't know if you heard that. They retrieved it. You'll be able to see that in Cooperstown. They, there's pictures and video. You could see it where it was sitting. To go oppo taco, to go to left center field as a left-handed hitter and a 20-year-old off the best pitcher in the game who hasn't lost in what feels like five seasons. And to see where that <laughs> ball went, 420 feet away. And, and as I said to you off the air, the elevation to get it there, that's like... Clearing the 385 sign in left center field in the in the deep part of the green monster and some. It, I mean, it's just, it's impressive. Couldn't Very- happen to a nicer batch of misogynist <laughs> such and suches. Yeah, so, I mean, what a game. Words what, I would use elsewhere other than here. What a breakout for a 20-year-old who, like you said, Scoop, that that's a lifetime thing for him. And this is a kid who started at 19. He's in his second season might be playing 20 more years after this. You want to talk about a cornerstone of your franchise. The Nats are locked in right now. With his stolen base in the eighth inning, Juan Soto became the youngest player in postseason history to homer and steal a base in the same game. Jeter Did, did Jeter do something like that, I thought? Uh, the prior youngest was Derek Jeter at 22 years of age. Add 105 days to that. Game one of the 1996 ALCS. I mean, just amazing. But as a young... Derek Jeter! Derek Jeter. Oh, my God. I love him. I love him, John. I remember that game, John, when Derek Jeter had a home run in a stolen base, but he wasn't as young as one. The greatest game of all time, John! Yeah, I, I wasn't feeling the, let's just say, <laughs> excitement as a Yankee fan that Susan would have felt. I was more feeling the... The, the what ifs, the damn, the well, damn, if, damn, damn. I couldn't help but think after that game last night with Garrett Cole going down like he did, you know, I had said he's due for a game. 
I mean, he had such a streak together of just power and domination. He's due to have an off night. Well, if the eighth and ninth innings go a little different of that Yankees-Astros game, six, and they face Garrett Cole in game seven. With a very capable offense, regardless of the fact that with runners in scoring position in the ALCS itself, they kind of choked a little game bit. Game seven would have maybe been this bad outing for Garrett Cole, and the Yankees would be playing in the freaking World Series. All he had to do was throw the heater and not that lollipop slider that hung there for Jose Altuve, who's as, about as big as a Smurf. A, a Roldis will dream about that forever. I mean, just... And it, it will haunt him. As much as he was smiling on the mound afterwards, that was a defense mechanism. It, I, I guarantee you, it pains him to no end. You gotta be bleeping me is what he was thinking. That's exactly what he was thinking. I know it's in his mind. We've all had a smirk like that with something where you're, you're just sitting there in life. G T F O H. Really break that acronym down. You know what I mean. And you're just going, is that is this real life? Am, am I caught in a dream? Did I really just throw that pitch in that situation? And this just happened. And the world is watching. And my team goes home early. Crap. That's exactly what he was thinking. How about this? History is on the national side now. All right. In all best of seven post-series series, all teams winning game one have gone on to take the series 113 of 178 times, 63%, including 25 of the last 31. That's 81% in the World Series. Well, then, I guess we, we, we should just know what the outcome is going to be. Well, let's remember what happened in the ALCS. Um, Yankees won that first game. Yeah, thanks. Exactly the same scenario. Just couldn't move those runners over. But the Washington Nationals, let me be an honest Yankee fan, they have the starting pitching that the Yankees just did not have to counter the Houston Astros. Can I throw some love out to one of the older guys? We talked about the one of the youngest players in the league, the prodigy, the phenom, Juan Soto. But Ryan Zimmerman has suffered through the ups and downs and, and everything else, the Bryce Harper era with the Nationals, but 35 now, and he's still clubbed one, too, off of uh, off of uh, Garrett Cole. And it's good to see him be there for this success. The after, fruits of his labor after are After having to, to wade through all the frustration and uh, the, you know, close but no cigar stuff. And Springer, George Springer's his name. So, eh, eh, ho, hum, ho, hum, whatever. Gets through the regular season, does it every year, and then he is he's superhuman. He proved it in 2017 when they won. He is a guy that just absolutely, the cream rises to the top well in the postseason, he's next level. He is on another level and then another level on top of that. And you can make that statement when you can back it up with a simple fact that he is now homered in five straight in the World Series, in po- I mean, the postseason. I mean, it's just incredible what he's doing. So tonight it's Justin Verlander versus Steven Strasburg. What I didn't realize, and I wonder if this trend is about to change or if it continues, is that Justin Verlander is 0 for 4 with a 5.67 ERA in five World Series starts. The vaunted Verlander. Got this far with Detroit in 2006, 2012. The Astros, 2017. Of course, led the majors with 21 wins this year. But. He's got Kate Upton at home. Were you going to say that? Is that the next thing you were going to say? <laughs> Speaking of, but. It's easy. but Oh, sports joke. It's easy to deal with a loss, no matter what the circumstances. 
Because none of us have Kate Upton at home. I, I, hey, look, I'm in a better place just in the last 15 seconds of you mentioning that name. <laughs> what was the rest of your point? I think you got off topic. Well, 0 for 4. Verlander 0 for 4 in five World Series starts. Well, it looks so like- maybe that trend continues. I mean, like I, with the Garrett Cole thing, at some point that's got to reverse itself. You know, the 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 balance has to be, you know, this side and that side, they got to match up at some point. You know, it goes this way for a while and it goes the other way for a while. Well, he's got two losses this postseason. He's beatable. He's not the invincible. Can you imagine if the Astros go down 0-2? I could. Uh, yeah. I'm rooting for the Nats right now. I can't root for I, the Astros because they knocked out the Yankees. I can't root for the Astros because of the, the nasty stuff that executive said in front of those women reporters. And you are not the only one. Yeah, there's a lot Most of Most of America, I don't know if you were watching on Twitter last night. No, tell me about it. Everyone was rooting for the Nationals. It's Matt the glue guy. Like, give me an example. What popped out of you? What was one, or what's the what's the common theme amongst people? Is it just that that scumbag? Is They're it, pigs. Correct. correct. They're right. pigs, and they have a problem, a misogyny problem in that organization. They have not addressed it to this moment. To this, this they could do something today. They haven't said anything. They need to say that that guy, Brandon Taubman, is not allowed at the ballpark. Now, I'm not saying that's all. That should happen. But for right now, he's got to go home. I don't want to see him at the ballpark. If I'm the Astros, go home. Yeah. Go home. It does we'll it. discuss it later after the World Series. Right now, you are a distraction. And any of the women that work for us aren't going to be comfortable around you. And that's the problem is that they tried to distract from it, tried to sweep it under the and rug. By telling lies about what happened and trying to throw Sports Illustrated under the bus maybe taking some notes from some other people in our world who have a tendency to blame rather than accept responsibility. And didn't Justin Verlander, since we were discussing him, have an issue with the reporter not too long ago in the Detroit Free Press where, what's going on? Get out of here. I don't like your questions. Well, you know what? That's tough biscuits, dude. Now you got to answer for that question because of your over... Cranky pants? You go home to Kate Upton every day. Shut the mm up. Ooh, how you feel about that? Tell me the truth. You're being passive-aggressive against Cooper. I mean, come on. Can guy I, should be the happiest guy in the world. That guy should skip to the mound every freaking day. Hey, I'm going to pitch and make millions of dollars. Did you notice Garrett Cole didn't want to step on the uh, World Series logo last night? Did he end Almost up? Like it was a, he has to think like it's a bad luck thing or superstitious. Didn't want to step on that logo. We'd walk around it. That's interesting. What if he ran on it during the course of the game? Is that different? After that start, I might jump up and down on the dang. Yeah, you got to do something to change your... Change the mojo, man. Yeah, whatever happens. Change the juju. Do you you wonder, though, Garrett Cole all of a sudden, and then that dark cloud of of the clubhouse nonsense, maybe change the karma of the Houston Astros? You wonder about things like that. The stars may have aligned. The Astros may have aligned against the Astros. Is it a far-reaching thing? Am I am I grasping at straws? Is- uh, well, let's see after tonight because we know the Yankees won Game One, Nats have won Game One. Like it's been a long time for Washington, and I would love to see them get something to celebrate. Got to have something positive coming out of the out of the capital, out of Washington D.C. City that doesn't get proper representation in our government. I'll leave it there. So baseball-related, obviously we got game two, then there's an off day, and then they'll get back at it. But did you hear, and I go to Deadspin a lot. I like that. They dig some good stories out. And umpire Joe West, who 
baseball fans, if you follow the game, he's he's older and he's he's a little bit larger of a man, and he is not very good at calling balls and strikes. A lot of people view him as to be one of the worst umpires, especially behind the plate, Major League Baseball. Well, needless to say. Joe West is now suing a retired catcher by the name of Paul LaDuca. He was at one point a Met, played for some other teams, kind of a journeyman catcher. He was a, he was a decent player. You might remember that name. But he's suing him over some bribe, some bribery allegations. Uh, he's, uh, what Joe, a wild story. Yeah, Joe West is, well, I'll give you the description within the story itself. It's up on Deadspin. I'll put it in the timeline of our Twitter at ESPN Sportzilla if you want to go read the entire thing. But they, they, they describe Joe West as unreliable, ornery, confrontational, occasionally obnoxious textualist. And needless to say, basically what LaDuca said was whenever he was in New York and Billy Wagner was pitching for the Mets and LaDuca was a catcher on the team at that point in time, he liked vintage cars. So Joe West would borrow Billy Wagner's 1957 vintage Chevy. And then in game, it kind of widened that strike zone a little bit. It was actually supposedly a negotiated deal. Hey, I'll let you use my 57 Chevy if uh, maybe you're a little more helpful with that strike zone. Tonight. It's a sports quid pro quo. That's really what it is. And you know what? There's more of this going on than we even have a whiff of. I think it's going on with NFL referees. I think it's going on with Major League Baseball umpires. Yeah. I, NBA referees. Look, there's so much money in Vegas on point spreads, and these guys are pampered fat cats protected by unions that protect guys that that need to be called on the carpet a little more often for their ridiculous. The, the strike zone thing is ridiculous. Every umpire with his own strike zone. Come on. We all see it. It should be universal. Absolutely right. They should be trained better. And if you you're you're tracking Balls and strikes. Why don't we have younger guys that are just done with playing, more of them doing this, umpiring, refereeing, and less likely to maybe be encouraged to trade use of a 57 Chevy for a wider strike zone? Well, they certainly, the players certainly make a lot more money than the umpires. So, of course, they want a little bit of extra cheese on top of that. But if, if you've got these umpires and you can track the, the balls and strikes, whether it's right or wrong, at the end of the year, if you're not above a certain percentage and it should be a pretty high bar that they set, well, either you need re- training, you get another chance to get better, and if you don't, you got to go. I mean, that's the way it's if – you're, if you're not performing at your job and it, you're just basically getting worse and worse and worse and worse and there is black and white proof of that, you're not going to have your job. They're going to bring in somebody that's a little bit better. And like you said, they're protected, so that's why it's not happening. It's funny, though. This happened back in 2006, 2007, and it's amazing to me that there is basically an accusation of an umpire taking a bribe, and it's been outed. You know what I mean? It's like you wouldn't expect— So there's like a, a lawsuit now. —that to be divulged. Well, Joe West says that the basically— uh, what was the claim? It was for eight or nine. He was responsible for eight or nine of LaDuca's 15 career ejections, which is a massive exaggeration if you read on on this. Over his career, which was, I think it was 11 years, LaDuca was ejected eight from eight games total. And I think Joe West did it once. So he, he's embellished. In other words, the player has embellished this. And you sit back and you go, 
with all the negative that you hear about Joe West, at the end of the day, at the end of this, he's got some grounds here. Because Paul LaDuke is making this stuff up, and he put it out in a public forum, and it's essentially, it's lies. It's not true. he's, He's online. He's trying to get clicks. But even if you pull that back a little bit, there may be a kernel of truth in there. Not bit. nearly as embellished as LaDuca has embellished it. Maybe the truth lies in the middle of I, both of their stories. I just don't trust these guys. I I, I think we if we need more transparency, transparency with regards to how these guys are chosen. You know, uh, we're going to talk to Mike McAllister shortly about what happened in this SU football game with the fumble, non-fumble, which... Why aren't these guys ever called on the carpet? Why aren't they ever in trouble for officiating a bad game? Okay, I suppose it happens once in a while. But my God, SU got hosed. It happens so often, especially in the NFL. I mean, we're seeing it almost several times a weekend in the NFL. Scoop, the glue guy. Tim Donahue, NBA ref. Had the scandal back in 2006. The points? Yes, with the point shaving and point uh, betting. So 2006 was not a good year for refereeing. I, I wonder. He got caught. How many other guys are doing that? Agreed. Well, maybe that's in and around the time. Pete Rose got caught. How many other guys are doing that? Yeah, they're just the ones that have been exposed. May, well, you know, maybe across from one sport to another, but maybe that's when Joe West said, I see what happened with that ref over in the NBA. Maybe it's time to stop doing things like this. Stop borrowing vintage cars. I don't know what was the cause of that. Oh, they're all in the club together, right? Come on, you help me with a 57 Chevy. I'll help you with a wider strike zone. It's just a fascinating story. I mean, on top of the World Series, and then you got stuff like this that gets put out. And And then, you know, the ball is one way during the regular season, then it's another way in the postseason. Come on. Come on, MLB. Come on. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. What All these leagues need to do better by the fan. I don't know what to believe. Instead of doing better by their TV, you know, fathers, the the people that are paying them all the TV money, they don't care about us anymore. They care about the TV money. They care about where that's coming from. Those are the masters they serve. Let's uh, take our break. Give us a chance to talk to Mike McAllister and some NBA. We've also got some NFL lined up. Sportzilla Show, ESPN Radio, 97.7 and 100.1. It's the Sportzilla Show on ESPN Radio, 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Rain and Scoop. Welcome back to the Sportzilla Show as we welcome Mike McAllister back on from 247 Sports to break down some Syracuse football as we look forward to the Florida State game. Scoop, the offensive line is the issue. It's under the microscope. Our change is coming. Dino Babers has put them on blast. They're pretty much at the bottom, the bottom of Division One as far as protecting the quarterback and giving up sacks. This is well-documented. And we got Mike McAllister, who probably knows more about this than both of us on the line. Mike, can they do something with this offensive line to get them to perform better? Oh, gosh, it can't get much worse, right? No, it definitely can't. I mean, that. <laughs> how do you go from being arguably the worst uh, uh, sack team in college uh, as far as sacks allowed, um, the worst sacks allowed team in college football to being worse than that? You know, I mean, it. it 
it's the biggest issue facing this Syracuse team, and it's been that way for weeks, and we know it was uh, the biggest question mark coming into the season. So the fact that we're, what, seven games into it now, and it's still a major problem um, is, is a little bit alarming, not because it's a weakness on the team, but because of how much of a weakness it is. You know, I mean, I know there's been a lot of talk about Tommy DeVito and where is he and, and you know, how come they can't get the running game going and, you know, is, is Tommy the guy and Clayton Welch made some plays and all those types of things. But it's hard for the Syracuse offense to be what you want it to be if they can't get into rhythm, if they can't establish tempo, and all of that is predicated on the offensive line at least being able to be confident. You know, last year's offensive line was, was good, a little bit above average, but it wasn't elite. But you saw what they could do even with that. Because they go tempo, you don't necessarily have to be an elite blocking offensive line in order for the offense to move the ball against basically anybody, including a team that's as loaded as Clemson. So the fact that they're having the issues they are is extremely alarming. And, um, you know, if they're going to figure out a way to get three more wins in the last five games, that's the area that's got to improve the most. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I think it doesn't matter who the quarterback is at this point. If you're not blocking, you can't establish even a, a decent run game, which gives the passing game even the slightest bit of a chance. So, Mike McAllister, 247 Sports. This is really a tough spot for offensive line coach Mike Cavanaugh. He's got to coach these guys up over these final five games, or he's probably in trouble, right? I mean, the interesting thing to me was earlier this week, Dino Babers was asked about Mike Cavanaugh and the job he's doing, and he said, you know, I'm not going to evaluate the job he's doing in the media. But we've heard him speak highly of other assistant coaches in the past, specifically Brian Ward, defensive coordinator, is is one that he's uh, praised before. So the fact that he said that led me to believe that uh, Mike Cavanaugh's job is very much up in the air and in jeopardy, and if things don't get any better by the time this season ends, and that the reason that they finished, you know, three and nine, four and eight, or, or even five and seven, is because that offensive line could never correct itself. Then absolutely, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a change of that position. If you can't protect the quarterback, obviously you're not doing anything to give the run game a chance. And if you don't establish the run game, quite obviously, that's not going to lead to you being able to throw the ball. So they're behind the eight ball before they even get started. It's a, it's a serious mountain to climb. I mean, you just look at the numbers, 35 times through seven games as far as their quarterbacks being sacked. It's the worst out of 130 schools. I mean, I hate to beat a dead horse, but it's got to change, and it's got to change fast, Mike. Yeah, because in that situation where your offensive line is performing that poorly, First of all, it doesn't matter who your quarterback is. I know the quarterback's always going to get the most analysis and the most discussion because it's the quarterback, and, and, you know, we all thought very highly of Tommy DeVito coming into the season. But if the offensive line can't figure itself out, it doesn't matter who's back there. It could be Tom Brady, Peyton Manning in his prime. They're not going to be able to do anything. And um, that, that's why they've got to figure this out. If they don't, and the offensive line continues to give up five, six, seven, eight sacks a game, the only way they're going to win is if the defense holds teams to 20 points or less every game, and they're probably going to have to get either a special teams or defensive touchdown in every game. That is not a formula that is sustainable to get you three more wins in your last five games in order to get to six wins and a bowl game. Now, here's the good news for Syracuse. The best pass-rushing teams in the ACC outside of Syracuse are the three ACC teams that they just played, Clemson, 
North Carolina State and Pittsburgh. So the drop off in terms of the pass rush they're facing is is going to to be beneficial to the Syracuse offensive line. So if you take that and then some of those young guys like a Carlos Vettorello and a Dakota Davis, if they can take some steps forward, there is at least something to look forward to to be on the positive side that some of this can get turned around. But it has to, and it has to starting this week if, if they're going to get to those uh, to that sixth win mark. Mike, I wonder, though, <laughs> is Tommy DeVito healthy enough to play? That's the big question, right? I mean, we don't know that. Um, you know, Syracuse doesn't give us a ton of injury updates. All we know is that if he is good enough to go, he's going to be the starter. That's really not a question. I think regardless, you'll still see some packages for Clayton Welch, specifically when they want to run a quarterback draw. Um, but, you know, ever since the end of that Holy Cross game, he hasn't looked right. You know, he, I understand he struggled in some other games and things of that nature, but against NC State, he didn't look right for most of the game. Early on against Pittsburgh, he didn't look quite right. So it may be beneficial to see if you can rest him for another week if if there's some question there, especially behind that offensive line. But, you know, Tommy's a tough kid, and he's someone who I know is going to want to be out there, so he's going to do everything he can to, to do that. Mike McAllister, 247 Sports, here with us on the Sportzilla Show, ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. So, Mike, we were initially going to talk to you on Monday, and then being a dad kind of got in the way for us to talk some football. And I know you probably discussed this yesterday when you joined uh, Brent Axe on the block, but I still think it's a pertinent question. And you had some things to share because you actually reached out to me on Sunday and said, all right. I got a few things to get off my chest about the replay of the fumble because of that different camera angle that wasn't initially shown for them to make the decision on the field with replay. So what do you got for us? I want to hear what you have to say. So for those who are are, um, unclear on what we're referencing, at the end of the Syracuse pit game, Syracuse is down by seven points. Yes. And there is an apparent uh, fumble recovery where Kenneth Ruff rips the ball out of the, uh, I think uh, Vincent Davis was his his name, but um, the Pittsburgh running back's hands, and Syracuse appears to get a turnover inside the 40-yard line of Pittsburgh, and that would have given them a first and 10 with a little under two minutes to go, less than 40 yards away from a tying touchdown. And And all three of their timeouts, too, Mike. Absolutely. So Syracuse would have had a ton of momentum at that point, and the crowd would have been going crazy, and Syracuse should have had an opportunity to tie the game there. They called on the field, and this is important, what they called on the field was a fumble and a recovery by Syracuse. They then went to replay. Every single replay that we saw on the scoreboard and that they showed on television, because I went back and watched, the ball was not visible until after Ruff had possession of it, meaning you can't tell the moment the ball comes out of Vincent Davis's hand and transfers possession, which means you cannot tell from those replays. It is literally impossible to tell if Vincent Davis's knee was down when he still had possession of the ball. Yet the officials then came out of replay and said, the ruling has been overturned, he was down, Pittsburgh retains possession. I was baffled at that point, but thought, well, maybe there's an angle that they saw that wasn't shown on television. That can happen. It doesn't happen a lot with all the cameras that are available, but every once in a while, maybe that can happen. So I I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt, even though I didn't understand it at the time. I was able to view another angle that hasn't been released publicly and I don't think is going to be released publicly that showed the angle from behind the play and shows the exact moment that the ball came out of Vincent Davis's hand. And 
it's well before you think it is when you watch the replay on television and, and you watch all those angles. Kenneth Ruff ripped the ball out of Vincent Davis's hand and had the ball in his own possession before Vincent Davis's knee hit the ground. So from that other angle, it was 100% conclusive that it was a fumble, zero doubt. I watched a replay 15 times, paused it, looked at, you know, individual frames, et cetera, and it was very clear that it was a fumble. So not only did the officials make a call to overturn it based on replays that didn't show the football, it's impossible that they had an angle that no one else had because the only other alternate angle that was available showed it was a fumble, which means one of two things happened. Either the officials just made up what their ruling was, or two, they decided to completely supersede the rules that govern replay review and say, well, even though I can't see the ball, I think he's down, so I'm going to call it based on that instead of what actually happened. Either way, it's unacceptable that the officials made that call. I'm not making an excuse that that is why Syracuse lost the game. They had plenty of opportunities to not make that be a factor. But the point is, officials are never held accountable, and officials, when they decide to either supersede the rules or make up a call, should be held accountable, and those officials should not be allowed to do a game the rest of the season. It's amazing that Dino Babers doesn't go into the post-game press conference and vent a little bit of frustration when you're on a team that's dealing with the well-documented issues that we just discussed with the offensive line and whatnot, and then there's that when you actually have a chance to tie a game He's a better man than most of us because I think a lot of us would have blown our top. It's the second week in a row, too, if you think about it, because yeah. at the end of the end state game, when Syracuse is driving down by six to try to score a touchdown and win the game, there's a stoppage in play, and Tommy DeVito, well after the whistle, after everyone else had stopped except the one NC State player, runs over to Tommy DeVito, throws him to the ground, which should have been the easiest unnecessary roughness penalty in the history of football and the officials did nothing. It's like two officials staring at it while it happened and having blown their whistle for so long that they had stopped blowing their whistle because everyone else had stopped. And yet, instead of there being 15 yards and putting Syracuse inside the NC State 20-yard line, Syracuse got penalized for a false start and 10 seconds ran off the clock. And and that pretty much ended Syracuse's chances right there. I'm reminded of that scene in Animal House where they're all in the courtroom and they're going... (laughs) It's kind of what it was like. Mike, we always appreciate the time and the clear, concise, easy to understand explanations of what we're seeing on the field with uh, your insight behind the scenes. You know a guy. It's it's nice to know you know a guy that you got to see that video. Thanks, man. Have a great rest of your day, okay? Thanks, guys. You too. Yeah, Mike McKellister, 247 Sports. You want to know anything about whether it's football or basketball for SU, he's a guy to make sure you're following on Twitter. Scoop and Rain right back on the SportsZilla Show, ESPN Radio, 97.7 and 100.1. It's the SportsZilla Show on ESPN Radio, 97.7 and 100.1. Here's Rain and Scoop. Caller number five right now is registered to win a chance at kicking an extra point for $1,000. 315-437-7644. One person will be chosen at random from all registrants to attempt the kick at halftime of the SUBC game and win $1,000 from ESPN Radio Syracuse. Scoop, let's talk about this Lakers-Clippers game last night. Let's talk NBA in general because there were two games. It's the second night of the season. Well, I jumped on Twitter, and with all the buzz about Danny Green, you would have thought the Lakers won the game. 
We were talking to Jack Perry in the last word on sports yesterday, which is, oh, by the way, that episode's available in podcast. You'll be able to find that wherever you get the ESPN Syracuse podcast. Give it a listen because I predicted and said, oh, I stated, I didn't predict. I'm like, Danny Green was a smooth, stealth signing, and I'm patting myself on the back because then look at him go off last night. That's a key guy. He's just a really good basketball player, and he's going to be probably one of the most important players they added to that Lakers roster. I understand it's Anthony Davis, but you need your role players. You need your guys like Danny Green to go to the next level. And they didn't have enough, even still, I know. at the end of the game. So, look, Melo, looking for a place to go. That's what I'm questioning. Where's Carmelo Anthony on an NBA roster, even if it's not the Lakers? Go hang with your buddy LeBron. He's, Come on. Do a little cap magic and make it happen. He's, I mean, he'll take NBA minimum, veterans minimum. It's not that much money with the economics of the game. but LeBron he, could give him a couple of Blaze Pizza franchises, you know, and, you know, slide them there on the down low and like, hey, you know, that'll help you out in addition to your, you know, Lakers money from the bus family. I agree with Carmelo, though. You're trying to tell me 15 guys on every roster with all the teams and... There's not some guys he's better at that are on a roster right now. Even I mean, he's got to accept the evolution of his game and his age, but I mean, come well, on. Well, he's better than Contavious Caldwell-Pope. You think? He was not good. <laughs> LeBron was a little sloppy, some bad passes, some turnovers. I thought he kind of lost a little bit in the fourth. He wasn't there. He disappeared. So did AD. Melo could have run the team. Kawhi maybe. just looked like he was in midseason form, and he's fast if he's not already there, ascending to the throne of greatest all-around player in the NBA right now. He might be the best player in the league. And that's without Paul George. In the association. And they did this without Paul George, without PG. It's amazing. Uh, what was the other game, the other score? You had uh, Toronto raising their banner, yep, getting their rings, and beating the Pelicans without Zion Williamson, 130 to 122. And that brings me to the rings. Drake, custom ring. Custom Raptors championship ring. Aside from the one... That the team. Okay, I'm sick of him now. Really, the team with his freaky manscaped face. It's uh, come on. Is is that is that facial hair or is that landscaping? Come on. But stay with me on this. So Drizzy Drake. Not only does the team for being an obnoxiously annoying super fan on the sidelines, who's who makes this whole thing all about him and not the actual basketball team that's out there winning these games, they give him a ring. Not good enough. He actually has his very own second customized Toronto Rapper, Raptors championship ring made. Dude, you have too much money. What? But what? what too make, much money. I'm sorry, but the one I don't have an NBA championship ring. Is is the one the team gave you not good enough that you Drake have to have your very own custom one? And it's not like somebody else went and made him a secondary customized Drake ring. Oh, he boy. made it for himself. I mean, come on. Is it just me? No, it's not just get you. Get off my lawn. That that annoys me too. It's just get off my lawn. How many how many other celebrities can you think of out there that would do that? That are super fans. Like did Jack Nicholson ever make himself a, a ring with the Lakers? People were afraid of him. Spike, are you kidding you know, me? Well, Spike Lee wouldn't have a chance to do that with the Knicks. Uh. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. Sorry, it, Rain Man. There's truth. Sorry. That, no, it's funny cuz it's not true. sorry. Funny because it's true. Nav Batia is a super fan of the Toronto Raptors. Also, he has been to every single Toronto Raptors game since their inception. A diehard. He is the poster child for a Toronto Raptors fan. Beloved in the community. They gave him a ring, too, which I thought was fantastic. But we got a minute or so left in a Sportzilla show. 
Bills AFC Player of the Week. Can you believe that? How good is this team this year, Scoop? Davius White. Yeah. Guy's been solid, and the Bills D is just outstanding. It really is. Are they as good as their record says they are? I think so. When you consider that it was a 16-10 game they lost to New England, who just flamed, you know, Sam Darnold and the Jets. Sam Darnold, poor guy, has got to hear about hearing ghosts probably and seeing ghosts for the rest of his life. Oh, they're going to blast him on every every team he plays every Sunday or Monday. There's the butt fumble game, yeah. and then there's the ghost game. Yeah, that's now his butt fumble game. That's a great point. Glue guy, Matt. I saw ghosts last night in Syracuse. He saw ghosts Monday night. It's all about ghosts lately. It's that time of year. we got a week or the so Patriots until Halloween. Patriots made him see ghosts. Yeah, I think that the Bills are as, as good as their record is because one last quick thing uh, fourth quarter quarterback. That's what they've got. We got 10 seconds left, Scoop. Fourth quarter quarterback is Josh Allen. It, no doubt. First three quarters, not so good. Fourth quarter, he gets it done. Exactly the point. So, this is the Sportzilla Show. Before we bounce out of here, don't forget up next, you're on the block with Brent Axe, and you can go watch him live from Dave and Buster's Destiny USA. It's this Friday. Four to six. Stop out, win prizes, enjoy some great food. ESPN Radio, 97.7 and 100.1.